Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, imagine with me for a moment. You're a shepherd over the same fields your fathers have been watching over for many, many generations. Indeed, these hills are the same ones that King David himself used to tend as he was fighting his lions and his bears and writing his psalms. And in your youth, you may have even wondered, did he write or ponder Psalm 23 on that hill or maybe that one over there? As you ponder and your mind begins to wander as the sheep before you graze and snooze, And you consider these little lambs before you. Jerusalem is only a few miles away, and these little lambs very likely will go to that temple to be sacrificed. That blood for sin is often the dedication of your work. And year after year after year, the lambs you raise and the sheep you raise and the goats you raise will be slaughtered for sin. Lambs without blemish will die for men without perfection. And your life continues in this monotonous way. And as a shepherd, your life is bleak. You are so low in the courts of the law at that time that your testimony was inadmissible in court. You were ritually unclean. You could never enter the presence of God. Only the little sheep you tended could. Well... You've now lived in a country for the last 400 years that's been oppressed by various Gentile nations. The glory of Solomon's temple that your fathers and grandfathers would have told you stories of has been destroyed and the glory of the Lord never returned. And you wonder as you sit and gaze upon the fields and hills with these sheep, will the heir of David ever come? Will the glory of Israel from former days ever come? return, you may even wonder, has God forgotten His people, for it has been so long? Well, our text then begins, an angel appears. Mary has just given birth to Jesus in Bethlehem, and naturally, the first person that would get the birth announcement would be the local magistrate. Surely Herod would have been told, the king of Israel is here. It wasn't Herod, that's told, well, certainly even maybe the most powerful man in the world at the time, Caesar, would have been told. Did you know the king of kings has been born in Bethlehem? Well, maybe no civic leaders, but surely the religious leaders, surely the high priest in Israel would have been told, did you know the Lamb of God is here? But neither he was told. The great and powerful were oblivious, but these poor pitiable shepherds, the lowest, the dregs of society's standards were told. Well, J.C. Ryle from the 19th century remarks that the king, the things of God's kingdom are often hid from the great and noble and revealed to the poor. The busy labor of the hands need not prevent a man from being favored with special communion with God, end quote. Well, a challenge to you, my dear listener, is this. Are you like the great and noble men who have no need of good news? Or are you like these poor, pitiable shepherds for whom such news is greatly received? And Lord willing, our text will reveal to you which side you are on. Our text teaches that the good news of Christ leads to great joy. The good news of Christ leads 
to great joy. And we'll hope to see this in two parts. First, the heavenly declaration of good news, verses 8 to 14, and the joyous response in verses 15 to 20. Well, first, the heavenly declaration. Now, they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to people of goodwill or goodwill toward men. This heavenly declaration of good news. What is the context of this declaration? Well, the angels are in the fields and the glory of the Lord appears with the angel. Now, children, how often do you think angels appear? Do they appear on every single page of Scripture? No. They appear very seldom. You might think, even in the Gospel of Luke, they appear to, Gabriel appears to announce to Mary the birth of Jesus. Gabriel appears to announce to Zechariah and his family the birth of John the Baptist. You may think of uh, back in Genesis, angels appear to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. Angels appear to judge the Assyrians as they assault Israel in Hezekiah's day. That angels seem to only appear for one of two reasons. They either bring tidings of great joy or tidings of great judgment. You can imagine these shepherds as they're on their fields. They see this holy angel, this magnificent creature. What is it going to be? Justice or joy? Judgment or joy? Around the angel is the glory of the Lord. And could you imagine seeing such a holy creature with the glory that only appeared on Sinai with the giving of the Ten Commandments or filled the temple in Solomon's day? These shepherds have the only appropriate response to being in the presence of such a creature with such glory. They are absolutely terrified. They are in absolute terror. The Greek is emphatic. The terror in the presence of an angel, the presence of holiness, makes them profoundly uncomfortable, and it should make you and I profoundly uncomfortable. These are being set aside for the worship of God, His messengers to and from humanity that attend His throne. And these shepherds see just a, a derivative holiness. They're not even in the presence of God, but just His servant, and they are absolutely stricken with fear. What happens next? Well, we see the angel provides the content of the declaration in in 10 through 12. And you hear the angel give one of the most comforting words anyone can hear from a holy being. Fear not. He brings tidings of great joy for all people. The declaration of good news also means there's bad news. What is the bad news? You're a sinner. And the shepherds understand this better than most. The nature of their work and providing often sheep for the temple means that they understand what is needed for sin. Death again and again and again. Blood must be shed for sinners. 
Their job is necessary yet despised and covered in the mire of their work before a holy angel and resplendent glory. The contrast between man on the earth who can't even enter God's presence and an angel declaring good news is the contrast you and I have. For you and I also cannot enter into God's presence merely as we are. We need something more. And so we have the good news. The angel declares good tidings, good news to the shepherds, declaring that this news will bring great joy. Now hear me. The joy we have at this news is linked directly to our need of Christ. The more we realize we need Christ, the greater joy this news will bring. Verse 11, There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the message of exceedingly great joy for all men, all women, all boys, all girls. No one is excluded from this message. All are called to have joy at this message. For unto you is born this day. Ponder that, dear ones. God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, eternity, the transcendent God of the universe who upholds the world by the word of His power, is born. Unto you is born this day. You think of the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who traveled the greatest distance to the most hostile people with the most pure motive. The distance between heaven and earth is far greater than any distance you and I will ever travel. The hatred, the enmity between God and man is far greater hatred than you and I will ever experience. And the motives of the Son of God the, were the most pure. He came to do the will of His Father to save sinners. The mystery of the Incarnation is profound. It is, causes to pause and wonder and marvel and worship. To join with the hymn writer, singing veiled in the flesh is the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell Jesus our Emmanuel. God with us. And this little one that's announced to the shepherds was born in the city of David in Bethlehem, the city of bread and peace. It's a small, insignificant place. The backwater's backwater. You would pass it on the highway without giving it a second thought. And yet, writing several hundred years prior to this moment, Micah writes, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you were little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. The hope of God's people, the hope that the shepherds are hearing, the good news that was born in Bethlehem is the heir of David. This little baby will be a king. And he will be called Savior. As we consider, what does Christ Save you from the very wrath of God poured out upon sinners. And it is upon this word that our early question rests whether or not you are with the noble who have no need of good news or with the poor and pitiable who desperately need it. And so often we hear in our culture, don't we, when someone's called a sinner, well, they say no one is perfect. Of course no one's perfect. That's the point. 
The distance between perfection and you is the very bridge that needs to be crossed. And so we have the need of a Savior. And only sinners need a Savior. And as these shepherds hear this word, and as you hear these words, consider this babe born in the city of David. Is Savior really a worthy title for this little child? When the angels say He is Christ the Lord, the Anointed One. Christ is the Greek word that is translated from the Hebrew word for Messiah, which means the anointed one. So when the angel is calling this baby the Christ, he is referring to this little one as the anointed one. There's three offices anointed in the Old Testament. You had the prophet, you had the priest, you had the king. And each of these offices were promised that there would be a greater one coming. Well, the angel says, here is the greater one. He is the greater anointed prophet. Promised back in Deuteronomy 18 that there would be a greater prophet like Moses who will reveal to us the will of God for our salvation. We have the promised high priest. Now unlike the shepherds who give these priests to the the Levites who year after year a new high priest has to be raised up because they die. The priests are not eternal. And yet what kind of priest do we have? What kind of anointed priest do you and I have? The great high priest after the order of Melchizedek who has an eternal intercession, an eternal valueless priest, an eternal ministry. And he is the anointed prophet, the anointed priest and the anointed king seated upon the very throne of David promised to him back in 2 Samuel 7 that Christ the King will sit upon the throne of David, not for a year, not for ten years, but forever. This promised Savior, this Christ the Lord, both fully God and fully man, prophet, priest, and king. And this is the most remarkable thing. The angel says you will find a baby in a manger. This great Savior, this great Christ, ushered in by angels, will look like a little child. What, What vast mystery is this? What great humiliation of God who takes to Himself flesh, veils His glory for a time that the salvation of rebels may be done, that sinners may be saved. This declaration of good news by the angel, the heavens themselves could not contain their joy They explode in excitement. And the angels in verse 13 and 14 sing out in praise. Dear ones, how often do angels ever sing over a mere man? Never. They sing out in praise over this little child. The heavens ring out in a chorus of glory to God. Peace and goodwill. God is praised by creatures who are sinless. Right? Angels aren't redeemed. They worship and praise God because God is worthy of all praise, whether or not He redeems anyone. And yet how much more so we who hear of the promises of God, who've been redeemed by Christ, if angels who've not been redeemed worship God, how much more you and I, who've been washed by the blood of the Lamb, we worship Christ and the Spirit and the Father, not just as our Creator, but as our Redeemer. This peace He brings, this peace on earth, 
it is not just a cessation of war, but it is more fully a cessation of judgment, that judgment has ceased. One commentator writes, His power, God's power, was seen in creation. His justice was seen in the flood, but His mercy remained to be fully revealed by the appearing and atoning work of Jesus Christ. Well, how should you and I respond to so great a revelation as the Son of God coming in the flesh to save His people? A king has been declared to you, brothers, sisters, and friends. What now? We read in verse 15 to 20, the response of great joy amongst sinners. The response of great joy amongst sinners. So it was, verse 15, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all of these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they heard and seen as it was told them. This response of great joy amongst sinners is fourfold. It is immediate, it is evangelistic, it is thoughtful, and it is God-glorifying. This response of great joy is first immediate, verses 15 and 16. The shepherds respond by going to see what the Lord has done. They hear the heavenly message, and they respond quickly, with haste. And how often do we do such things? I say this as a self-condemnation. How many sermons have I heard? How many books have I read? How many podcasts listened to? How many conversations about the things of the Lord have I engaged with? And yet it doesn't often stick. It doesn't create in me an immediate response. It goes in one ear and off and out the other. As if my life doesn't change by being in the presence of God week after week. These shepherds, they hear the heavenly message and they respond immediately. They go with haste. And dear ones, I would submit to you that whenever you hear the Word of God read or preached or sung in worship, in family worship, in private devotions, that you would come with preparation, that you would come with the expectation that you will leave changed. For God has given you a word this day to help you understand the week you just had, to prepare you for the week you will have, to make you more like Christ. And don't wait to respond. Don't think, well, I'll respond to this sermon, to the call of Christ in a month or in a year. Be like these shepherds. Respond immediately, with haste, with joy. The shepherds walk as God directs. The response of great joy amongst sinners is immediate and it is Evangelistic, verses 17 and 18. They tell what they have heard. They make it widely known. This is the, the wonderful office of believer can, can share the gospel just as freely as a minister, as an elder, as a deacon. This is the call of everyone to go and share the good news of Christ. They make it 
known. Because Christ is not a secret. And this is where the self-examination of is Christ a secret to you practically? That if someone were to ask your neighbors, who do they believe in? Who do they trust in? Who do they love more than anything else? If children are asked, who does, your, who does mom and dad love more than anyone? Would Christ be the first answer? Would the triune God be the praise that would be uttered by your life as you live and work amongst your neighbors and friends and family members? Is Christ a secret to you? Well, it was no secret to these shepherds. They go and they tell everyone of what they've heard and seen. This is akin, dear ones, that we have such wonderful news to share Now, yes, our neighbors and friends, our family members who are unbelievers, they may mock, they may scoff, they may reject Christ. But that's not up to you on whether or not your neighbors receive Christ or not. Only the Spirit can change a heart, but He uses means. And may He use the means of our speech and of our conduct and not the means of our silence. The response of great joy amongst sinners is immediate. It is evangelistic. And dear ones, I would urge you that as the new year comes, make it a challenge in 2024. Twelve months, speak to twelve different neighbors. Invite them to church. Challenge yourself, dear ones, to share the good news with your neighbors that they may all know that there is a gospel-preaching church within driving distance, that they can come and enter the very presence of God. They have greater access than the the shepherds did through the angels to holiness. They can enter God's holy presence now. Why wouldn't you share that, dear ones? The response is immediate. It is evangelistic. And as we read, it is thoughtful. It's meditative. It is a treasuring response. We read of Mary, the earthly mother of our Lord, Now, as Protestants, it can be quite easy for us to kind of ignore her. The Catholics worship her. The Eastern Orthodox worship her. Surely, us Protestants, she's just a name in a book. But I think that's unfair. I say that as someone who used to worship Mary when I was a Roman Catholic. But Mary is a remarkable woman. That she was, as a teenager, the chosen instrument to be the mother of our Lord. And when you read her, uh, her song of praise, her, what's called the Magnificat in the earlier chapters of Luke, it is saturated with Scripture. That this young teenage girl, likely illiterate, likely didn't own a copy of the Bible, but was so familiar with God's Word, likely taught to her by her parents, that she's able to pour out the praises of God one Scripture after another. Because she treasures these things. And when we read later on throughout the Gospel of Luke, particularly at the end of the Gospel, when Mary's at the foot of the cross, she's treasured up these scriptures throughout her whole life. She's treasured up these things in her heart. And this is a key piece of biblical wisdom that you prepare for those hard seasons in life before it's hard. Right? You don't prepare for winter in winter. You prepare for winter in spring and summer and autumn. 
You prepare yourself for when those tragic events do happen and we're all experiencing them, either now or in the future, or have been. And you prepare for those hard seasons by treasuring up the Scriptures, treasuring up the witnesses of fellow believers, treasuring up the things that God teaches you week after week, year after year, so that when the hard times come, you can remember the Word of the Lord. You know, my, uh, my grandmother is one of the only believers in my family, but she went blind later in life. She was unable to read her Bible. She was unable to go to church. But she was able because she had memorized so much Scripture as a young woman that it was as if she could have her Bible open to her because her memory remained. Though she couldn't see the words, she could still repeat them to herself. And dear ones, I would urge you, treasure up children, While your memories are so good, memorize the Bible as much as you can. It will serve you well all of your days. The response of great joy amongst sinners is immediate, evangelistic, thoughtful, and God-glorifying. These shepherds return glorifying and praising God like the angels in heaven, like the Lord's Prayer on earth as it is in heaven. Their praises echo and match the angelic hosts. And isn't that the the great joy of being a Christian? That we join in a chorus that has been singing for thousands of years and that will echo into eternity the worship and praise of God. Dear one, the shepherds rejoiced over a baby leaving his mother's womb. They didn't know all that this baby would do yet. Will you, dear ones, rejoice in your Savior who has left the tomb empty? The good news of Christ leads to great joy. So I ask you again, are you in need of such news? Are you healthy, well-fed, well-clothed? Are physical blessings masking spiritual poverty? Perhaps you've heard a hundred times of the birth of Jesus and it is as relevant to you as anyone else born 2,000 years ago. This is a nice teaching. He was a nice moral man, but he is long gone. Well, take heed of the angelic declaration. There is good news, but only if you first realize the bad news. If a man cannot stand before an angel without terror, what what chance do you have before the living and true God? Angels veil their faces before him, for our God is a consuming fire. And yet the thrice holy God who hates sin and must punish sinners. For all sin is a stench to his nose. It's a front to him. This God declares to you good news. Do not be afraid, for Jesus has made a way into his presence. See your sin and hear the gospel. Christ has died for sinners. Your joy in that statement matches your understanding of your sin. You could never do it, so Christ came and did it for you. He was born of Mary, yet did not take human sin. The incarnate God-man is the Savior of His people because He is Christ the Lord. He is the perfect prophet, priest, and king. He lacks nothing necessary for your salvation. Verse 11 points to what He will accomplish in the rest of Luke's Gospel, points to the reality that it has been fulfilled. 
Respond like the angels, brothers, sisters, and friends. Praise the Father for sending the Son. Praise the Son, the Anointed of the Most High. And praise the Spirit who reveals these things to us through His Word and opens our mouths to join the angelic chorus and to praise and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord and there is no other. Look to the Christ. A king has been declared to you and do not hesitate to respond. Today you do hear his voice. Do not harden your heart. You may come with many excuses, but hear me, why would you hesitate to follow him? He offers you everything because he offers you himself. And see the beauty of Christ and respond with immediate joy. Treasure these things in your hearts, dear ones. Share them with others. You may be quick to share bad news, quick to share happy news, but be ever swift to share the good news of the Lord. May you leave today glorifying God for what He has done. For all blessings flow from Him. All creatures are sustained by Him. All the hosts of heaven adore Him. And may all creatures here below join heaven's chorus. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. Amen. Let us pray.